It's Tuesday the 24th of May 2022 and from day two of the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland, this is Radio Davos. More than two and a half thousand leaders from governments, business, civil society, academia and the media are meeting in person for the first time since COVID-19 stopped the world. They're discussing the biggest issues from geopolitics to climate change, inequality, technology, the future of jobs, all as history is at a turning point. Watch all the action live or on catch up at wef.ch slash wef22 and across social media using the hashtag wef22. I'm Robin Pomeroy, podcast editor at the World Economic Forum and with daily podcasts from the annual meeting 2022, this is Radio Davos. And on day two, I'm delighted to welcome to the Radio Davos pod booth at the heart of the Congress Centre in Davos, Enrique Acevedo. Enrique, how are you? Robin, this is great. They did a great job with this studio. You like the booth, huh? Yeah, it's actually better than the CBS News studio, so I'm impressed. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So you're an anchor at CBS News. Tell us something about yourself. I noticed in your Twitter description, Mexican immigrant. I start with that. I think it defines a lot of what I am today. Someone that's had the opportunity to live between two cultures, a binational, bicultural, bilingual reality, and then father of two. That takes up most of my time nowadays. So have you been to Davos before? This is my sixth year, yeah. How's it seen from your part of the world? Do people pay any attention to the World Economic Forum in Latin America? I think they do, especially now. There is a debate on the tangible results that this consensus-driven multinational forums have, right? So, you know, from the World Health Organization during the pandemic to what the international system has done with climate change to cybersecurity to what we're seeing with NATO and the G7 and the G20 in Ukraine, I think people are looking to institutions like this for answers. And what will you be looking out for here? Are there hot topics that, that you'll be listening out for? I'm grateful that the forum is paying so much attention to climate issues. I think around uh, a third of all the meetings, all the panels uh, here at the forum are dedicated to climate issues. So that's something, of course, I'm, I'm interested in as a journalist, as a storyteller, um, uh, someone who's worked on, on climate issues, especially in Latin America in places like the Amazon. And I'm also you know, looking forward to learning more about how we're coming out of these two last couple of years in terms of the disruption it's caused across industries and sectors. And it's going to be interesting to see how how people are reading this change in sectors like education, health, technology, uh, governance, etc. These sessions that we've got in front of us at 10.45, the geopolitical outlook. This is going to be an interesting one with senior figures talking about from Poland, Finland, the USA and Saudi Arabia. Well, see, from Europe, let me say, the, the geopolitical outlook is, is very different from what it was at the start of this year. Absolutely. Do you think those reverberations have, have gone as far as Latin America or not so much? I think so. Uh, I think uh, th- this has been the geopolitical issue that has defined the last six months to, the, to a year, uh, not just since the invasion started, but even before that. We, we're still, unfortunately, in the in the early stages of this. So we're going to see the impact this is having across the world more clearly in the months to come. Economically, this has bolstered the price of commodities. There's a, a push for stronger supply chains that's causing global companies around the world to look at Latin America as a place where they can open new factories. But at the same time, it's intensified other challenges like unemployment, 
inflation. It, it has uh, created even more uh, inequality, I think, in places like countries around Latin America. But in this global competition between Democrats and autocrats, it'll be interesting to see where Latin America fits. Well, let's have a listen then to, this was a session yesterday. This is Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, uh, giving a special address yesterday. This is really the moment when it is decided whether brute force will rule the world. If so, the force is not interested in our thoughts and there is no need for further meetings in Davos, as there would be no reason for that. Brute force seeks nothing but the subjugation of those it seeks to subdue, and it does not discuss, but kills at once. And Russia does that in Ukraine just as we speak, and what it brings to the world, it inspires other potential aggressors to act. Instead of successful, peaceful cities, there's only black rooms. Instead of normal trade, sea full of mines and blocked ports in Ukraine. Instead of tourism, closed skies and thousands of Russian bombs and cruise missiles. So Zelensky there is saying, if you want to have discussions that mean anything, to, to lead in a peaceful way towards decisions of coming together, cooperation, changing things, stopping climate change, as you mentioned, or any of these things. Well, that's one way of looking at the world. The other way of looking at the world is just, as he calls it, brute force. I, I think he's made a very well-tailored point to this meeting. Absolutely. And it sums up what we've been discussing in, in a more uh, concise and clear way than I've been able to. First, talking about you know what tangible results has this world order brought in terms of addressing the biggest challenges we face right now, from climate change, pandemic, cybersecurity, and now the geopolitics. We've seen how these institutions sometimes seem underfinanced, underempowered, or understaffed to deal with these great issues. So there's a, a public demand for consensus-driven forums like this to really bring about results and, and go beyond the dialogue. On the other hand, he's referring to that global competition we were talking about between Democrats and, and autocrats, a fight for the values of liberal democracy around the world. And that's not just something that's happening in Ukraine. It's playing out in this invasion, but I think it, it has impacted the conversation around the world, especially in a place like Latin America, where we've seen a lot of democratic backsliding and in the US. The main thing on everyone's mind remains COVID-19. Seen from your part of the world, is it all over now? We're all meeting here again, albeit lots of people are wearing masks. There's a load of testing going on, but we've still got China locked down mm -hmm. in many ways. What's, what's the feeling from Latin America? I, I feel it's important to, to now move forward and say, it's okay, mostly because of the vaccines, treatments, and and the uh, accessibility to, to testing. So let's have a look at another couple of things coming up today. Susan Wojcicki of YouTube at That's interesting. quarter to three and <laughs> half past three. Sachin Adela, the chief executive of Microsoft. Those, those two interest you? Especially the, the YouTube panel, because I do feel, especially with, with Spanish language audiences, in the US and across Latin America, that this information has become the most important challenge of, of our time. Because if you care about climate change, science, health, public health, it's impossible to reach a, a consensus on those issues in this post-truth disinformation ecosystem. And you think people in social media have, have questions to answer in that regard? Absolutely. I think um, it has to do with individual responsibility of how we consume and share information, but it also has to do with some of the business models and the incentives around uh, social media. 
Just interesting, on, you say you do work about misinformation. What, what, what is that that you do? Through the News Literacy Project, we are focused in creating a future founded on facts. And we work with schools at every level to provide them with tools for free, uh, like workshops, uh, tutorials, materials that, that can help uh, the new generation become better media consumers. Because we, you know, we get this devices, these incredible devices that have uh, the opportunity to give us access to so much knowledge and information, but we don't get a, a, a blueprint on how to use them, no? an instruction uh, uh, book on how to use them. So, um, so we're trying to, to address uh, this information now through verification, fact checks, and, and other tools through technology, but also at the same time uh, working with the next generation through education to make sure we are more news literate. So thinking of the broad packages of things being discussed here at the annual meeting 2022, which are most of the huge issues facing the world, if you could pick one out and hope for one result, what would it be by the end of these four days? I think this year in particular, I'm hoping that I, I, can, I can see a roadmap of how we move into a, a world that looks more like what we've been discussing the past 51 years and less like the, the old normal of economic, in, in the case of Latin America, of economic stagnation, of social discontent, of discrediting the democratic values, which all of this, by the way, was turbocharged during the pandemic. So maybe just a, a roadmap of, of how we can reach a world like the one we wanted and not uh, the world as it is right now. Many thanks, Enrique Acevedo, news anchor at CBS News, thanks for joining us on this morning's Radio Davos. Muchas gracias, Robin. Pleasure. Muchas gracias. <laughs> so it's not just the sessions at day two, there's also important launches happening here. And to tell us about one of those, uh, a launch from the World Economic Forum, is my colleague, Lauren Uppink, Head of Aviation Travel and Tourism at the World Economic Forum. Lauren, how are you? I'm great today. Thank you. Tell us what it is you'll be doing later today. Yeah, we'll be launching what we call the Travel and Tourism Development Index. It's the first ever edition of this index. It builds off more than a decade's worth of our travel and tourism competitiveness index, an exciting both reflection and tool to use. It's an interesting, really interesting sector, isn't it? Because it's something that was hit by lockdown. I mean, everybody was, every sector was. But you think about travel, none of us were traveling, very few of us were traveling for, what, two years, I suppose. Can you give us some indication, you know, the World Economic Forum or your part of it has been tracking that industry over those years. Can you give us some indication of how it was hit by COVID? One thing we all could see and feel it, right? We all knew that we couldn't get to where we wanted to get to either for important personal reasons or for reasons of, of travel and, and business. It's estimated that one in five jobs that were lost during the pandemic were those in the travel and tourism sector. So it was enormously hit and it also um, contributes so much to economic development in many, in many countries and economies. And so we saw that have a roll on effect with the economies themselves. Right, because it's something, travel and tourism, that links into so many other parts of the economy. How are things looking now? Because... Well, everything's upside down. We thought we were in a starting to be post-COVID recovery phase in the global economy. We know that COVID isn't over yet in, in certain parts of the world. But also, of course, now you've got the Ukraine situation upsetting the global economy. Is there any, any indication you can give us on how the recovery of the travel and tourism sector is globally. What's interesting to see, the recovery is on its way and we've, we've seen the pickup. We're all here in Davos today. People have traveled from all over the world. 
but the recovery itself is uneven. We know that certain countries still are under lockdown, uh, borders remain closed in some places, and vaccination rates are uneven as well. And that will continue to shift with these, as you mentioned, geopolitical challenges. A lot of people have talked about building back better. When we were in the middle of lockdown, it was okay, the economy's stopped when we get it back up and running again. Let's do things better this time. And I guess travel and tourism is often targeted for criticism of or particularly um, greenhouse gas emissions. Do you think the recovery will include a less environmentally damaging travel and tourism sector? I think absolutely. And I think we've seen that ambition from policymakers and business leaders alike, as well as community-led tourism. I think what's important is we saw a very special shift in travel and tourism because of the lockdowns for economies that could allow for better domestic enjoyment of their travel and tourism assets, their, their attractions. And so the index, for example, measures things like natural attractions, cultural attractions, and non-leisure attractions. And we are starting to see a change to more local, more community-based, more authentic experiences. And policymakers and business leaders also recognize that they can't go back to overcrowded places, areas that don't have good resident livability, and they're using that time to reflect and reposition. On the greenhouse gas one, we absolutely this time really gave the aviation industry in itself a lot of time to, to reposition. They know that people are coming back with a different perspective and demand for more sustainable travel and are doing an enormous amount of work on um, sustainable aviation fuels, on uh, the next horizon of technology and electric and battery fueled aircraft. And so, yes, there really is opportunity now. Great. So people can find this Travel and Tourism Development Index on the website? Absolutely. A great read. A great read and a lot of interactive data. So you can play around, look at how your own country performed and your region, and, and also look at how you might support the travel and tourism industry to, to rebuild and create uh, more jobs and, and more economic development. Lauren Upping, thanks very much. Throughout the week here, we're grabbing as many interviews with as many of the fascinating people passing through Davos 2022 as we can. You can hear those on future episodes of Radio Davos or our sister podcast, Meet the Leader, and also on the social videos we put out across social media. My colleague Anna Bruce Lockhart, for example, spoke to Ian Bremmer, an American political scientist who's just written a book called The Power of Crisis. Here is Ian Bremmer talking about how we should be on the lookout not only for re- economic recession, but also for what he calls geopolitical recession. In the global economy, we have boom cycles and we have bust cycles. And in fact, every seven years on average since World War II, we've had a recession. And because they happen so frequently, we know how to recognize them and we have tools to respond to them. We have fiscal tools, we have monetary tools. And the playbook is very similar, whether the United States, or Europe, or China, right? We just understand what it means. We don't like a recession, we wanna respond to it. The interesting thing is that geopolitics have recessions too but they're long cycles. And because they're long cycles, we don't necessarily recognize them as easily when they come, and we certainly don't agree how to respond to them. We are right now in a geopolitical recession. And what causes that is actually very simple. You create institutions and architecture, and when you do, it aligns with the balance of power and the values and priorities of the countries in the global order at that time. Over time, the balance of power changes. 
but the institutions don't. They're sticky. And over time, those institutions become so far removed from the new evolving balance of power and different priorities and different values that the institutions erode. They start to break, they become delegitimized. We see that with NATO, we see it with the World Trade Organization, we see it with the United Nations Security Council. So we're now in a geopolitical recession, it's a bus cycle, and it's because our institutions increasingly do not line up. I'll give you an example. When the United States first put together the United Nations, the permanent vetoes in the Security Council were given, were allocated on the basis of the victors of World War II. So of course the Soviets were at the table, the Germans and the Japanese were not. In 2022, the Russians are led by a war criminal. They're not here at the World Economic Forum and the Americans wanna throw them out of the G20. Meanwhile, the Germans and the Japanese, who are the two major economies that are most committed to the rules and precepts of the United Nations Charter, to multilateralism, to rule of law, cannot be given permanent seats in the Security Council because they lost World War II. Now that's a stupid reason, but that's what happens when the world changes and institutions don't. You know, if you're driving your car, um, you'd get an oil change occasionally, you'd get a tune-up, and over 20 or 30 years, you'd eventually get rid of the car and you'd buy a new car. You wouldn't say, the car is no good, I'm just gonna walk going forward. When people say today, our institutions are broken, we just don't want these institutions. We, we just don't want this global governance. We should be doing it ourselves. No, no, you're not gonna walk. You need global architecture but you have to rebuild those institutions. And that, that's where we are in the world today. Ian Bremer, look forward to more from him on a future episode of Radio Davos. While he was talking to Anna Bruce Lockhart inside our interview booth in the middle of the conference center here in Davos, I took a stroll just outside the booth to chat with Nusser Yassin. He's a professional YouTuber who intends to tell his millions of followers around the world the story of this Davos 2022 in, get this, one minute. So yeah. I'm out in, just outside the Congress Hall, I'm surrounded by VIPs of all stripe, and I've just stumbled across Naz, who is a YouTuber of enormous fame. Naz, how are you doing? Good, good, good. How are you? My name what? is Nasir, um, and uh, I run a company called Nas Daily and Nas Academy. You say, you say that's your name, but everyone keeps bumping into you and saying, you're Naz. You're Naz from Naz. YouTube, aren't yes, you? Yes, yes. What is it? How come all these people know you? What is it they know you for? <laughs> what did they know? So, uh, so we make videos and uh, to our surprise, these people watch our videos. Can you imagine that? They consume our content. Did you know, I mean, so you think about YouTubers, you're doing these cool things. Hey, I'm doing this cool thing. Let me tell you about yeah. that. I always imagine, you know, it's kids. YouTubers, kids follow kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But these, these are, these are I, I don't want to, you know, say everyone here is an old man in a suit. And, 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 not everyone's an old man. It's really not true. Just you and me. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe one of us. But, <laughs> but pretty much across the board here, you seem to have a recognition factor. It's, it's shocking. Yeah, are you shocked there? I am shocked too. <laughs> and I don't play football. <laughs> <laughs> There's some of those here too. Yeah. Well. Um, no, so, so Nas Daily, really, what we do is we try to go around the world and find the most interesting people in the most interesting places and highlight them. And when you highlight interesting people, a lot of people want to see. This is not just YouTube, hey, I'm, I'm doing nothing. Hey, look at me, give me attention. It's a different kind of content. And, and it's awesome to see people that, that, that watch this stuff. Right, and so what brings you to, to Davos? I mean, what are you going to get from here? What brings me to Davos? 
Well, I'm here to try to tell the story of Davos because this is a very interesting thing, right? Did you know that there is a village where everybody, every resident leaves the village, <laughs> locks their bakeries, <laughs> and then new people come to the village and everybody that comes in is interesting. Entrepreneurs, prime ministers, leaders, presidents, they all sleep in these ski towns and then they just talk about how to make the world better. I mean, that's a crazy story. So, and you're gonna try and interview someone, make videos about that? Yes, I'm gonna to try to summarize that idea into a one minute video. Okay. What, the whole thing? The whole All thing. The you're gonna get in one minute. Well, yeah, I just described it in 20 seconds. Okay. So I'm just gonna waste 40 more seconds. <laughs> okay. You get the idea at this point. Brilliant, all right. So when, when are we gonna see that? When can we see your one minute? In three days. In three days time, so. Okay, at the end of this week, we'll check yeah. it out and we go to where on YouTube? Uh, NAS Daily. Okay. NAS Daily, every single day. Well, NAS, thanks so much for, for talking to us. Robin, thank you so much, guys, okay. and uh, I, hope, yeah, I hope you enjoyed listening. Yeah, thank you. Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss day three of the World Economic Forum's annual meeting 2022. Leave us a rating and a review and join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. Follow all the action from here at weforum.org and across social media using the hashtag WEF22. This episode of Radio Davos was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy, with today's co-host Enrique Acevedo. Editing was by Clitia Sala. Sound engineering was by Juan Toran. Studio production was by Connor Smith. Join us again tomorrow for day three from the World Economic Forum's annual meeting 2022 in Davos. Thanks for listening.